on. All right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. So I've received some advice about teaching and speaking in public. Um, one of the things I've been encouraged to do is start with something interesting to engage people, uh, to draw their attention. So I thought, what is more engaging than a pop quiz? Wow. <laughs> wow. Excellent. Wow. So... You might actually cause the audience to dislike you after that. <laughs> Thank you for the word of encouragement, brother. <laughs> so you don't have to pull out papers or write anything down. You won't be graded, but I'll ask a series of questions, and you can just shut out the answers if you know it. Eight. What is the longest book of the Bible? Psalms 119. Isaiah. According to my commentaries, it was Psalms. In what book can we find the longest chapter in the Bible? Psalm 119. At least I get half credit. You do. What book has the shortest chapter in the Bible? Psalms. Psalms. What what book from the Old Testament is quoted more than any other book? Psalms. 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 You thought I was going to trick you there. Nope, nope. I think I'm finally catching on. I think Jesus quoted more than any other book, but in general, the New Testament. Psalms. What what book are we studying today? Psalms. Okay, okay. Okay, so, very good. You guys caught on. The first questions were a bit more difficult, but uh, we can recognize patterns. That's a good thing. But before we start the study proper, let's pray. Lord, as we gather together around your word, around this book of songs, this book of psalms, Lord, May our hearts be shaped to have proper affections for you, to understand the word, to love to speak to you, to sing praises to you, to worship you, to rejoice in you, to give thanksgiving, Lord, to encourage one another by speaking the truths that are trapped, captured in this book. We ask that you would bless this study, that it would change our hearts and cause us to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just uh, some other opening questions. Um, have any of you here been particularly blessed by studying in the book of Psalms? Yes? Yeah. Well, this, yeah, the, the particular Psalms that come to mind, you know. There's yeah. things like, you know, he knows our frame, he remembers we have the dust. And how, it's so how often good. has that been like a bomb, you know? I go to it so often, Psalm 103. Um, anyone else have psalms that have been particularly striking for them? Yeah, particularly Psalm 23. Mm-hmm. Just that first verse. Yeah. Yeah. Puts things in perspective. Amen. Psalm 51, because of the chiefest of sinners. Amen. It's, there's times where that's been a helpful song for me to pray through. You know, the David's contrite heart before God. Um, the Psalms are, are really an amazing book. Um, it is a book of songs or a book of poetry, um, and it is considered to be one of the wisdom books of the Old Testament. <clears throat> it's important that we understand when we're reading Psalms that it is not a narrative specifically. It is not a discourse. It is primarily poetry and music. And what is poetry? Does anyone have a, a definition for poetry? Give it a shot, maybe. I think typically we think of it in terms of what we see in poetry. There's a certain, there's a very specific literary uh, device that mm-hmm. is going to be used. For the Hebrews is much different than, say, what Walt Whitman would have done or something like that. Because Hebrew poetry was vastly different, but... It is considered some of the finest, finest poetry in the history of the world. Mm. So there'll be things like uh, patterns, there'll be chiasm, there'll be um, 
there will be acrostics that are used. Yep. Uh, so, you know, it's devices to really draw attention to. It's almost like it's trying to make you get into the text where it engages more than just your intellect, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, um, cultural change usually comes through the arts. Mm. Mm. But if you think of it, God also uses cultural change to occur through the arts of poetry and other things that he uses the devices for the Christians as well. And and that's a a very important point. Poetry is often (laughs) written to strike at our hearts, Mm -hmm. our emotions, in a way that regular prose is more didactic or simply instructional. Mm -hmm. Um, So poetry is is targeted at... Affecting our affections, you know, at, at changing it um, and talking about the ways that poetry influences the world. One man said that uh, poets are the unacknowledged legislator, legislators of the world mm. in that they have great influence on society and the way we think. Um, the dictionary defines poetry as literary work in which a special intensity is given to the expression of feelings and ideas by the use of distinctive style and rhythm poems collectively or as a sorry poems collectively or as a genre of literature often uh, poetry is characterized by figurative language things that aren't literal but are pictures of other things you know as a deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts mm-hmm. after you. You know, it's a a figure that is a picture of deeper things. Um, typically, poetry has a beautiful quality to it, where the way the language is employed is <clears throat> pleasing and pleasant to read and witness. Um, it's important to keep in mind with figurative language that we will find in the Psalms, um, that it is far more concerned with giving us a sense of the topics it's talking about than presenting a a carefully worded explanation of truth as you might find in like a lecture or a teaching. Um, If people are basing their a particular point of theology or doctrine specifically on the way a psalm is worded, it's probably an overreach. You want to go to other places in the Bible to form more definitive doctrine. Um, But the figurative language is great for getting a sense of things, the flavor of it, if not the exact teased out truth. And it's important that we understand that the book of Psalms is after our heart. It's concerned with our emotions, with where they are being directed and where we are expressing them. John Calvin writes an amazing commentary on the book of Psalms. It's in the public domain, so you can find it online. He says in his introduction that the Psalms are an anatomy of all parts of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which any one can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. Or rather, the Holy Spirit has here drawn to to the life all the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities, in short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men are wont to be agitated. The other parts of scripture contain the commandments which God enjoined his servants to announce to us. But here, the prophets themselves, seeing they are exhibited to us as speaking to God, in laying open all their inmost thoughts and affections, call, or rather draw, each of us to the examination of himself in particular." in order that none of the many infirmities with which we are subject and of the many vices with which we abound may remain concealed. So that the Psalms are laying bare the hearts of believers before their God, both in joy and in sorrow, in hope and in frustrations. 
it is an amazing book and I've been tremendously blessed by it. Um, the church fathers have said on the book of Psalms that is, it is an epitome of the whole of scriptures or a compendium of all theology. That in the Psalms you can find a little Bible in the summary of both the Old and the New Testaments. One thought church father calls it the most elegant work extent in the world. And rightly it has been called the hymn book of our Bibles. It is a deeply personal book and it is here for us to pray and to sing and to express and to fill our hearts with the sentiments that are established here. Here are the clearest exam some of the clearest examples in scripture that God wants us to have a real relationship with him. Not simply formal religion, but proximity and affection and intimacy, where he makes his decrees known to us and we make our heart known to him as if there was no one we would rather entrust it to. So it is important as we continue to study the Psalms um, and think about the different things that are found in this book, that we understand God is after our hearts here. In the same way that like a wife's heart should be for her husband, in the Psalms we get the, pic the picture of the believer's heart being for their God, that we would love him and that we would re reveal our affections to his care. Augustine calls virtue, like right, right action or right character and quality, he calls it virtue being rightly ordered loves or rightly ordered affections. That the virtuous person is one who has his affections and his loves in the right places for the right things. Where a sinner is someone who loves evil and hates good, the believer should be increasingly being conformed to loving good and hating evil. And this is what the book of Psalms is here for. Before I go further, are there any questions about the books of Psalms? Any comments? I, I just think it was probably written in Hebrew, I would think. Yes. It was. How hard that would be to translate it and make it sound good in English and rhyme and stuff, you know. Yeah. Unfortunately, we do miss some of the beauty yeah. of the Psalms because we're not reading it in the original. Um, the authors did well to, the translators did well to capture the meaning of the words, but some of the, the meter and the poetry of it is lost in translation. The more structural aspects of it, the repetitions, the themes being called back and forth, and the figurative language are preserved. Um, and it's so much prettier as in King James. Yeah. With the and thou and all that, I think. Uh, yeah. And, like the 23rd Psalm is terrible. And all the translation, it seems, yeah. King James. And that's an important thing to understand with translations, that some are written a bit more beautifully than others. There's differences in their faithfulness to the original text and their clarity for instruction. Um, but the King James Version is a, a great version for capturing some of the beauty of Scripture. I actually remember um, I attended a, a church nearby that wasn't that great um, to meet up with some people from there. And I was very disappointed hearing the pastor preach from the New Living Translation and hearing him call up verses I knew. And they were just so empty of weight and depth because it had been so simplified and dumbed down that it didn't capture the, the beauties of Scripture. So structurally, the book of Psalms is each chapter is dedicated as one song, separate and individual from the others. Um, so men, they can be read in isolation and studied largely in isolation. Um, the book of Psalms is grouped into five books. 
Um, and while some commentators think that these books are meant to mirror the Pentateuch, there's a lot of disagreement and no strong sense as to why these book distinctions are given. Um, the One of the noteworthy things about the books is that each one ends in a psalm of doxology to God, of, of praise and glory to his name. And the book of Psalms starts with Psalm 1, which is a sort of theological introduction to its use, and then ends with what's called the, the great doxology, which is a series of five um, psalms of praise to God. And that sort of bookends the the Psalms, where each of the five books ends in a doxology and eventually culminates in this, this grand praise of God at the very end to wrap up this, this sacred hymn book. Um, so let's just take a moment and read through Psalm 1 so that we can understand the th thoughts that should prepare our hearts as we think about Psalms. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. If you're memorizing scripture, I suggest you memorize Psalm 1. It is a great thing to drive deep into your minds the value of the Bible and its words. Interesting thought. Talks about sitting, standing, and walking, right? Mm -hmm. When it says to, to not you know, stand away, walk in the way. And it made me think of Deuteronomy 6 when he said to teach your yeah. children diligently when you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Mm -hmm. It's that constancy. And then Matthew 7, right? Every man who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be very wise when he built his house upon a rock. Yeah. And every man who hears these words and does not uh, act upon them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And so the Bible, and specifically the Psalms, can be understood in contrast to the wisdom of the world, to the wisdom of, of foolish men, of sinners, right. of the sort of things they say how easy it is to be in the workplace and in public and complain about things, degrade other people, all these various things which are so common to us in our sinful states, as opposed to a book like the Psalms, which is glorifying to God, which is a, a heart with rightly ordered affections. Um, the, the people who dig down into this book are like a tree planted by streams of water. The meditation on this book causes fruit to flow out. And I think it's intentional that verse 5 um, talks about sinners not standing in the congregation of the righteous. These psalms would be sung as the congregation of Israel gathered together to worship their Lord. And so this mention of congregation is understanding that psalms are for those who have a right standing before God, not for those who are in rebellion against him. That all of the things captured here are meant to be the affections of those who have received righteousness from God, instead of trying to trust in their own worthless righteousness. It's important that as we read through the Psalms, that we don't skip over the headings. Many of the Psalms have different headings and titles. Um, a Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son, you know, Psalm 3. 
Many of these are easy to look past and just go right into the verses. And while some of them don't convey, don't contain information that's particularly striking to us, a lot of them give us clues about who wrote the psalm or what circumstance they were in, which makes it more amazing as we read it, that this isn't just, a lot of times isn't just a believer sitting in a comfy life writing down, you know, songs of praise. But it's David as he's thinking about being on the run from his own son, writing a praise to God. Um, the songs of ascent that would be sung as Israel gathered together and ascended up to the temple. You know, you think of that that excitement and that joy as you gather together with the people of God to go to the place where God's presence dwells, you know. So these help flavor and characterize the Psalms, and I encourage you to not look past them when you're reading. There's a number of musical terms that are used in the Psalms, like Selah or Eshigeyan or the Sheminith, the Maskil, Many of these we don't have a great translation for, a great understanding of exactly what they would be used for would mean. Uh, they're likely musical directions in some form, whether they're uh, like the tunes of a song or structures of its performance. Um, the word Selah in particular appears many times in the course of a psalm, where the words will be, going and then there will be Selah and then another section of verses. Um, the word itself translated means to lift up or to exalt, um, which in a musical service is a bit ambiguous. It implies some form of the service that would be used to encourage us to lift up and exalt in God. Um, and the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, explains, uh, translates it as an interlude or an intermission. So some think that it may be a pause of silence between song, between parts of the song to cause us to reflect. So the Book of Psalms has many authors. The one who wrote the most psalms is David. He wrote potentially 73 of the 150 psalms in this book. And it's important for us to consider who David is, who is writing all these psalms. Second Samuel 23.1 calls him the sweet psalmist of Israel. What is... What is the famous um, words that God says about David that mark him apart as special and significant? Yeah. So if we think of the Psalms as a book that helps us to rightly order our affections towards God, it is not surprising that we find so much of it written by the man who is after God's own heart. So this is a man who was praised for having the rightly ordered affections towards God. And he writes these psalms, so many of these psalms to help us do the same. He is also a type of the true king. He is the anointed king of Israel and a type of Christ who is the true king. So as Christ is... Um, as David is a man after God's own heart, Christ is so much greater the fulfillment of it that he can say, who has seen me has seen the Father, because he is such a picture of the Father's own affections and priorities. And as I was thinking about it, I thought it was very interesting that... Um, so much of the Psalms were, were written by David, um, and that David is the one who is considered the man after God's own heart, not his son Solomon, who is very wise. Um, 
which shows that God doesn't just want our intellectual assent to things, like Solomon has a, a wisdom and an understanding of the things of God, but he wants our hearts as well. And this is a, a man, David, who, who went through many great troubles, and yet his heart was to sing with the people of God, to leave them in song of praise to God. We're going to go over a few of the different types of psalms. Um, Many people have tried to come up with categories for psalms um, to try and organize how we understand them. And while there's some helpful categories to cause us to think about it, the psalms don't fit neatly into any particular order. Um, One commentator says, at the end of the day, you can end up with 150 different categories for the 150 different (laughs) psalms. So there's the kingly psalms. There's a number of them throughout the book. Um, They are sung as prayers, as praises for the king, as thanksgivings to God for a godly anointed king to watch over us, um, and many more. And these are instructional for us. But because we don't have a king currently, especially not like our government doesn't have a anointed king that God has established, should we be singing these kingly songs about our president or about our government? No? Probably no more than we should be calling any particular president the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that would be a misuse of the kingly songs. But there is some people who would try to take psalms like this and overread, you know, a a present kingdom in America or in other nations and try to attribute some of these truths to them. And that's important that we we understand what these prayers are actually for. These, these psalms are to direct our affections to the king that God has anointed over his people. And while at the time many of them were written, the primary person in sight was the king in Israel, we who sit in the New Testament understand the much greater reality, which is the true anointed king. And so we can understand that when our affections are being ordered correctly, when our heart is in the right place, we will want to sing praises and thanksgiving to the king that God has given us, to Jesus Christ. Um, In Psalms, very often it starts with a lot of grief, a lot of pain, a lot of brokenness, and all of a sudden it'll, it'll change. Yeah. And I think in particular about Psalm 22, um, it's, it's a longer song, but like right in the middle, it just changes to, to praise and, you know, yeah. very often. Yeah. yeah, and we'll be getting into the laments a little bit later and some of the beauty that's found there. Um, and I think we can all attest that there are times in our own prayer where we started our prayers with a certain loneliness in our countenance, a certain discouragement. And as we prayed, we felt even unbidden in affection well up in our heart of of rejoicing for our God. And so it's, it's not surprising that we see that in the Psalms as well. You know, so for example... Um, one psalm reads, O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not re- withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. A psalm like this is a, a beautiful prayer that we can praise and sing of exalting in 
the enthronement of Jesus our King in heaven, that he has been given the name that is above all names and been crowned with many crowns. Psalm 110 specifically prefigures Christ in many ways, and in the book of Hebrews is drawn upon to talk about Christ being greater than the things that were in the Old Testament. It says in Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. These are beautiful realities in the Psalms that exalt our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then there are also Psalms of praise throughout the Psalms. And they are fitting for us to point our hearts to and work through. As Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. So it is so necessary for us to take full advantage of this book that is full of rejoicing in the Lord and use it to lead our hearts into this right affection for our God. One praise in the Psalms that has particularly struck me is the first section of Psalm 89. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With thy mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, and your faithfulness in the assembly of your holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? And who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are, are around him? I mean, we need to take advantage of things like that to teach us how to praise our God and rejoice in him. There are psalms of wisdom, like Psalm 1, that give us teaching and instruction. There are psalms that lead us to yearn for our God. Psalms of thanksgiving that are the, the outflow of a full heart that rejoices with gratitude for the great things God has done. There are <clears throat> prophetic psalms that show us that God was preparing the way for Christ all along and teach us about who our Savior is. And there are many more types that we could go into, but before, I want to take some time and focus on three types of Psalms that I think are either particularly hard for us to understand or underutilized as a church. One, the first of these is psalms of com confession or psalms of penitence. Have any of you ever struggled to feel properly remorseful over your sin? I mean, I... That's pretty easy. <laughs> just, but to be able to articulate it in words is a different thing. To be able to feel it and then I think to be able to articulate it back to God, I think brings it to a new level yeah. because we can just get stuck in our own sort of feelings about it whereas to have inspired words with which you can pray to God with is to is to sanctify yeah. even that ugliness yeah I think about um, times in my life where I've known that something I've done is wrong mm. that it is sin and that it is an affront to my holy God mm. and yet there wasn't that brokenness in my spirit that I knew there should be for my sin. And I, 
I've been blessed by going to a psalm like Psalm 51 to pray through its prayers. Let's just take a moment and read through some of it to, to see how God teaches us to or to properly respond in our hearts to sin and put that guilt before him. This is important too. A lot of times we can feel like our guilt keeps us from going before the throne of God. But this is a a proof to us that the place for our guilt and remorse is before his throne in prayer and confession. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Later on, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. It's such a a beautiful confession. And I I think if we went to things like this more when we struggled with sin, we would see our hearts leading us away from evil and towards trust in our God to true repentance. This is one of those psalms where I think it's important to read the header for the psalm itself. Because, of course, this is, you know, David's Mm. prayer after after Nathan came to him and what he had done. Mm Yeah. I mean, I, I always get confused with this particular song, particularly when it says, against you only have I sinned. So, like, you know, what about Isaiah and you know, everybody else that you destroy around them? Yeah, and I'm not exactly positive, but what I've heard a lot of people say is that the the difference in the degree of the offense, you know, our sinfulness before our God and Creator is such a greater offense than our crimes against <laughs> other people that that he can say in a figurative language, you know, not like theologically precise, but giving the sense of how great his crime is against God. He can poetically say, against you, you only I have sinned. Yeah, I think I think that's the whole point of the Psalms not being didactic yeah. referred to <laughs> as opposed to just sort of getting at the heart, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like somebody said, I, mean, that's, I can't believe it, that's the worst thing I've ever done. Well, I don't have to go back that far in my history to find something worse. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know what I mean? It's just, but it gives the sense of it. It gives the sense know? of it in a real special way. Yeah. So and that's, that's such an important point about genre of literature. <laughs> We'd be careful not to take a uh, take a psalm like that and turn it into a doctrine of who do we sin against when we sin. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so that you can say, well, David says against you and you only right. I've sinned, so that's I don't right. have to ask that's forgiveness right. from any of my <laughs> brothers. <laughs> You know. <laughs> you know, if I had to reconcile that with the teaching of Jesus that said if a brother sins against you, go to him. Yeah. You know. That brother could say, I'm already good with God, instant against you, get out of here. You know, if it's he just can... such a stark statement. Oh, it just seems like it's real heavy. Uh, that, that's all I and I, I understand what you're yeah. saying, you know, I get it. But kinda hard to how this is one of the writer things. that is he's headed towards the front battle line, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I I think other parts of scripture don't play down at all Amen. the crime of David against Bathsheba and Uriah. And so those are, that's an example of a psalm of confession. The second category I want to think about is psalms of lament. We need to understand that the Christian walk is characterized with suffering. 
You know, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sends him. If they persecuted me, how will they not persecute you? Jesus says, take up my cross daily and follow after me. That's a, the cross is a torture instrument. So if that's the instruction, we need to understand that there is suffering that is going to happen in this life. The, the psalm book, the hymn book of God is not just full of praises as if we are to gather in the congregation and pretend that everything is good and just sort of like chastise our exterior into pretending that we're happy even when we're in the midst of soul-crushing sorrow. The Psalms of Lament make up a third of the book of Psalms. A third. My commentary said a third. Am I disagreeing with you? She she's looking at me and saying she's that it's too. Sometimes If it's a third or two thirds, it's a significant portion. Uh, go go and be good Bereans and read through the whole book and find out how many songs. <laughs> It'll serve you well, much better than knowing what the true percentage is. Um, And so we need to take advantage of these psalms to teach us how to suffer rightly as believers. And just not dishonestly pretending like, oh, this doesn't affect me. I don't ever get sorrowful over things. But to have true and real sorrows, but not lead those sorrows to separate you from God, but to draw you before his throne in desperation. Um, Let's turn to Psalm 88. Um, This is the the deepest of all of the lament psalms. And it's really striking how the psalmist prays. Um, I'll take a good lesson from my brother here and read the title of it first. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah to, uh, to the choir master, according to Mahalath Leonath, a maskil of Haman the Ezrahite. Yeah. Haman the he- Ezrahite is one of the wisest people in Israel at this time. And we know this because when God is, is telling us how wise he made Solomon, one of the people that he says he made Solomon wiser than is Haman the Ezraite. So this is a, a wise man in the things of God. And he is leading the people of God in song. And this is his psalm that he chooses to write. O Lord, God of my salvation. I'll tell you that's the high point. I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. And, and he sees, he's in the midst of the suffering and he sees God as the one whose sovereignty is behind it. You have put me in the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all your waves, Selah. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your land and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness. But I cry to you, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. 
O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all the day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. God says you can pray this to me. That in the midst of your despair, you can go to a psalm like this. And these are approved words that you can speak before my throne. If I was writing a religion... I wouldn't write something like this as a prayer that people should pray to their God. When the guy that was my best man was dying of cancer, and the guy that was his best man was also dying of cancer simultaneously, and they died about a month and a half apart from each other. I hadn't seen him in a number of years. I went to visit him, and I, as was, I looked for an opportunity to sort of be alone with him, and I asked him how he was doing spiritually, and I just made me think how helpful it would have been for him to be a believer and to have something like this to fall back on instead of what he said, which was, the first thing I'm going to do when I see God is punch him in the face and say, how could you do this to me and my friend? You know? And just that, that powerful, you know, just what he had been dealing with. And yeah. watching it, just, I mean, I couldn't, couldn't condemn him in any way. You know, just to gently remind him. Uh, I knew that he had grown up Catholic and he was an altar boy to remind him of the exposure he had to discussions about forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he thanked me, but that was a deep, visceral sort of anger that didn't have the right place to go. And if we're honest with ourselves, mm-hmm. we can recognize in us the potential to get to the same place. Absolutely. I mean, you think of the sufferings of Job. Mm-hmm. You know, that There are some believers who have gone through horrid situations. Mm-hmm. I mean... The death of a spouse, the death of a child. I mean, mm-hmm. how are we to come to grips with these things? You know, Justin, those are the ones that we remember. Mm-hmm. We remember those who God puts within our life, and they suffered so well, they died so well. We say, I'll never forget them. I'll never forget that faith that they demonstrated to me. It, so, was, it was like oracles from God to other people. Amazing. Yeah. I got a few people like that in my life, and I'm like, I, I want to die like my friend Winifred Sears. I mean, if if you can read read the book The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom, you know, talking about her family surviving, going through the Holocaust and everything that she lost, and she's a Christian, and the sort of faith and trust in God in the midst of horrid, horrid things. Mm-hmm. Um, Fox's books of martyrs. Yeah. 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 Very much so. I. I struggled with depression for a long time and one of the tricks, one of the things that God used to help me get victory over it is Psalms 88, 89, and 90, three Psalms of Lament and a series of sermons preached on them by Lincoln Duncan. And when he's preaching through this song, he shares a story of this woman he was ministering to who was sitting in the hospital with her recently deceased two-year-old baby. And she looks up at him and she says, Ligon, can we sing the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. I mean, it's the faith of people like this that truly attest that our God is greater than even the greatest sorrows this world has to offer. Doesn't God console the souls of his people within his church when we participate in the Lord's Supper? And that remembrance, and we don't know <laughs> what number of people in that church is just mourning. And with the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of our unity with Christ. Yeah. And Paul says, you know, that I may become one with him in his sufferings, mm-hmm. so that by any means I may become one with him in his resurrection. Mm-hmm. And so, the, and this is the encouragement he gives to the Philippians as well. Like, if you suffer with and for Christ, 
you can be confident that you will be glorified with Christ, who is glorified. He is seated at the right hand of God. So we know how it ends. And so if we suffer with the Savior, we will also be glorified with him. Many of these psalms of lament can feel like they're impertinent, that they're irreverent, the types of questions that they ask. But God knows our hearts. He knows that in times of sorrow, these questions honestly come up. And so he's not calling us to a external piety that pretends that I'm not having any of these questions as if, you know, in the midst of my despair, I never feel like God's love has left me. So because he knows that these are the true experience of our hearts at times, he says, I want that to be nowhere but before my throne and coming to me because I care about you and I want your affections towards me. I want you to seek for answers from these quest- to these questions from me. We need to make use of the Psalms of Lament. And it's important to realize that so many Psalms of Lament end on moments of praise to God. You know, Psalm 13 ends with, I will sing um, to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Despite the, the previous six verses being a, a wretched lament that it feels like God has abandoned. And sometimes when we're singing our praise to God, we are singing it through blinding tears. But because even though our feelings are such suffering, we know who our God is. And we need to be reminded of that. The last category I want to cover unfortunately, pretty quickly, is imprecatory psalms or psalms of cursing. If you turn with me to to Psalm 58, we'll get an example of that. Um, These are psalms where a a believer in the Old Testament, um, oftentimes David, is praying curses upon his enemies. And this can be so difficult to understand properly. Um, You know, Psalm 58, um, according to do not destroy a victim of David. Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? Know in your hearts you devise wrongs, your hands deal out violence. The wicked are, I'll try to speed on to um, verse 6. O God, break the teeth in their mouths, tear out the fangs of the young lions. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the stillborn stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of the thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. I mean, this is a, an so honest... Much, someone on that is much, much better. Much better. Oh, it's so much better. <laughs> Keep going. I'm sorry. I just had to throw that there. Um, <laughs> and this is one of the more tame ones. <laughs> there's some more fierce stuff. So how are we to understand this as, as believers? This is a, a difficult question. Um, for one, I think it's important to understand where we were at in the revelation of God at the book of Psalms. They were living in the Old Testament where there were fierce like physical penalties that were expressed for sinfulness, stonings for disobedience, nations being cut off and destroyed because they did not worship the Lord. Um, And so this has a certain connection to that where in the New Testament we have the new covenant and we see the fullness of God's grace being revealed even to the vilest of sinners. Um, And we, I think this is really pictured well in the verse in Hebrews 12, 24, which says, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word 
than the blood of Abel. So what word does the blood of Abel speak? It cries out for justice. You know, God says to Cain, you know, that he can hear his brother's blood crying out. And it's crying out for justice. Like, my brother has killed me. Avenge me. Vindicate me. Punish the wicked. But Jesus' blood speaks a better word when he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So instead of justice, which Abel's blood cries for, which these psalms often cry for, in the New Testament we get the fuller picture that mercy is here, that there is forgiveness for even the chief of sinners, you know, Paul, who was killing Christians. If there's anyone to pray these curses against, it would be Saul as he's persecuting the church, and yet even he was saved. But I do believe that there is still a use for this for us believers. It's similar to the way in which the questions of the lament psalms are the honest reality of our hearts that God wants us to bring before his throne. There will be times when we are so seriously wronged by others that the natural response in our heart will be to desire justice be done to those people, to be indignant at the evil that's done. And God wants those feelings to be prayed to him and entrusted to him, not to ourselves. I mean, if you think of it, I mean, there's still, like you're doing right now, is making a connection to the New Testament, even though we say, nevertheless, Lord, uh, save them from the wrath. We agree with the wrath, but also with the salvation aspect of it. Nothing wrong with agreeing with the righteous wrath and judgment of God. We're actually going to agree with God and his righteous judgment and wrath when he gives us charge to judge even the angels. Yeah. And so there's this, there's this, you could say, dichotomy of agreeing in God's righteousness in the midst of our prayers, speaking as God speaks to the unjust, and then also in the thoughts of Christ, the Savior of the world, to those who have been the knee to his lordship. And it, it's complex, but in one sense, it also makes so much sense that because we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater, we certainly don't want to declare that David was unrighteous yeah. in his imprecatory psalms. And so I, I've always thought of it as being an agreement with God of who God is. Yeah, and that's definitely a piece of it. Yeah. Um, I think it's also important to remember that David, who prays so many of these, refused to raise his hand against Saul. Right. So he felt all these things, but he was entrusting it to God when he could have taken it his own Saul advantage of it. Saul was an anointed king, yeah. and that's why he didn't do that. Enemies to Israel, however, were a different story. Yeah, but he, he would pray psalms like these. Oh, I get it. I get it. I'm just, there's a, it's a it's, I think it's a, it's a, uh, it's the human enigma. Yeah, in one way it is because we want to agree with God, but in one sense also we are also those who have the enlightenment of the new covenant to agree with Christ in looking at our neighbor and our enemy in a different way. Well, yes. I've had the thought of, Lord, let, let an odd meteorite strike Planned Parenthood and whisper, let it just kill everyone that's in there. As long as there's no pregnant women, let it just kill everyone that's in there. Just be done with the Lord. Okay, why don't you just level that building? Instead of having us march around out there with signs. Yeah. You know, you have that raw emotion. Yeah. This song was about men in authority that were twisting justice. Yeah. And it's just like Romans 13. You know, we know that God puts men, such men in authority, but they're to do the right thing. This is why everything is haywire. Yeah. So I don't think there's anything wrong. Oh, certainly. Yeah. yeah. And this Especially is, this day of evil, of evil thinking that being good and good and evil. Yeah. If we don't, if we just take a handy-pandy look at it, and our prayers also are handy-pandy, you, know, yeah. you know, fluff. I mean, I'm not quite certain for really serving God in our prayers and, and, and looking for justice. Yeah, and I, I think about in glory one day, looking back on the sins that were created in this world. I mean, we will feel 
even more indignation about the vileness of sinfulness and wickedness of man. Um, yeah, this is the Psalms are a, a beautiful book full of so many things to teach us and instruct us. Um, and there's so much usefulness to be found in this book that we do not want to neglect. And we want to come back even day by day. There's enough here that it is well worth your time to read a psalm every day. Let's close in prayer. Lord, you have given us new hearts. Hearts not for evil, but hearts for good. Hearts that are set to love you, Lord. Help us to be instructed to love you all the more, to love each other, to love right, to hate evil. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.